0: This is a quick timeout podcast brought to you by 323 Sports. If you're looking for a team dealer with great prices, top of the line apparel, and second to none customer service, then 323 Sports has to be your choice. 323 Sports will do it right for you and your sports program. Visit 323 Sports or contact sales at 323sports.com to get in contact with a team rep today. On this week's episode, we welcome back Jordan Sperber of Hoop Vision. Jordan and I actually recorded this episode prior to the cancellation of the NCAA tournament. And while we discuss a few projections for the tournament, we do talk X's and O's, analytics and strategy coaches love to debate. Be sure to listen closely. Jordan has an exclusive promo code for a discount on his tournament Bible. Even though there's no tournament this year, that resource has a ton of information regarding those coaching strategies and applied statistics we refer to in the episode. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jordan Sperber. It's great to have Hoop Visions Jordan Sperber back on the podcast. Jordan, I usually have guests plug their stuff at the end of an episode, but I want to start by having you tell listeners about your NCAA Tournament Bible. What exactly is it and who's it designed for? And then we'll kind of that'll kind of be a jumping off point for what we'll talk about the rest of the episode.
1: Yeah, for sure. It, it uh it highly relates to what we're going to be talking about. Thank you again for having me, by the way, uh Tony. And yeah, the Bible. This is year two of of our tournament Bible, so we do uh, two pages on all sixty eight teams, uh, breaking down basically a one page scouting report and then an analytics page on on uh, on each of the teams in the NCAA tournament, and then we also do about a five or six minute video that's annotated, like for the coaches listening, you know, like you might have in your film session with little notes in the top left corner similar to to what a a scouting video would look like and we do that for all 68 teams we also have a uh, a section called bracket strategy which uh, is more looking at things from an analytical perspective uh and and that's really aimed towards uh people that are filling out a bracket but we have both the demographics in there we had uh, last year actual teams in the ncaa tournament uh, purchase the bible um, for like their full staff. We had, uh, lower level, uh, coaches with nothing to actually do with the tournament itself. Just, just looking to learn more about teams. And, uh, also we had fans and and gamblers and and all that kind of stuff. Uh, A lot of care goes into it. And, uh, yeah, if, if you're listening to this and, uh, are interested at all, um, you can find it at hoopvisionhq.com the hq is in like headquarters hoopvisionhq.com and yeah i appreciate you letting me plug it and i'll i'll put a a discount a promo code up there if you put in podcast um i'll, I'll do that too
0: also if i buy this can you guarantee me a top 3 finish in my in-laws family pool <laughs> cuz i'm sick of losing to my 5 year old nephew <laughs> So there's been a
1: bunch of testimonials. Well, okay. The answer is no. <laughs> but there's been a bunch of testimonials. And one one of them um, was a tweet from, from someone who said that uh, he was in his girlfriend's dad's pool last year or something. I was talking about how like nervous he was about making a good impression and he bought the Bible and he won the pool. All that being said, no, no guarantees.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, the basketball world loves cliches. You work with analytics, which tell the facts in a numbers format. What are maybe two or three cliches that are actually myths when it comes to either the game in general or something about the tournament?
1: Yeah, uh that's a really good question and it's it's kind of it kind of gets into the bracket strategy section. It's something that I've been uh obsessed with for like a lot of years is is like what wins in March? Are there things that are more important in March than other times of the year in the season, you know? I guess the the first thing that comes to mind is kind of the momentum you know, I I would call it March momentum. So a team that wins a high major conference tournament going into uh, the bracket is always going to get a little bump in terms of a lot of people picking them. And it's I mean, you know, the one that comes to mind that it clearly worked out for was UConn with with uh, Kemba Walker when they won those 11 games in a row. But for the most part. Uh, the, the data does not really back the March momentum. I think this is, this is a while back now um, where I did this research, but games in November and December were just as predictive of March success as uh, February and March. And maybe a little bit of that is there's actually more games played in in November and December because you're really only getting like half of March or or a couple a couple games. Uh, So that's part of it. But I guess the moral of the story would be to evaluate the full body of work and not just like the last weekend,
0: (laughs) which is difficult because most people don't pay attention to college basketball until sometimes around this time of the year. Right.
1: No doubt. No yeah,
0: doubt. Yeah. So one that uh, we all love, but you can go ahead and completely obliterate this one, that defense wins championships.
1: Yeah. I heard, I was watching a game today and they were talking about defense traveling, you know, like uh, defense mm-hmm. travels. And I, the the conversation that the two announcers were having was, uh, I couldn't follow it. Like it does travel, but it doesn't. But, you know, it's just, uh, it's uh, yeah, that's, I guess... Uh, I've always kind of been like pushback to any any of those types of cliches. I- I'll say this, you'd much rather have a good defense than a bad defense, sure. you know? Like, <laughs> uh, But yeah, we've seen kind of extreme offenses do really well in the tournament. Extreme offensive teams that aren't good, aren't necessarily good de- defensive teams do well in the tournament. We've seen vice versa. We've also seen those teams flame out. Yeah, I would say that I that uh if if you have to choose between offense and defense, there is some data out there that would probably support offense uh, because really the the offensive team has more control over a given possession. This is kind of the logic there. That being said, you know there's a couple of really good defensive teams, uh, and it's not I wouldn't out there this year. You know, Baylor's really good, Virginia's really good. I wouldn't be afraid of 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 them whatsoever. The obvious statement to make here is that it's a combination of offense and defense that wins championships.
0: Yeah. So I do want to talk about that. You, you mentioned Baylor already last year, you mentioned the team Virginia that won it all. And so our, our two teams last year actually were in the top six in defensive efficiency this season, according to what one site I saw, I've got Kansas Baylor and San Diego state all in the top 10 in defensive efficiency what would you say makes each of those teams so hard to score against?
1: Yeah, so let's start with Kansas. The new scheme or X's and O development for Kansas this season was icing ball screens. Uh, Yeah, so they really, since game number one, even in that Champions Classic game, they have been, I think Bill Self actually calls it downing. They've been uh, trying to keep the ball to one side. Yudoka Azubuki, who is one of the best defensive players in the country, um, has lost a lot of weight, which I think helps the the coverage a little bit. Um, but they're keeping the ball out of the middle. And it's it's a little player dependent as to how much Doke drops back or whoever that five man is drops back within the ice. But they're definitely trying to keep the ball out of the middle. Azubuki is really good. Also, Marcus Garrett is is one of the best defenders in the country uh, on the ball and on the perimeter. And, yeah, they are extremely tough to score on. And the one thing that has given them some trouble is five men who can pop, you know, for the most part. Ah, uh, Bill Self teams have never really prioritized taking away the three compared to certain defenses, anyways. And the the game that comes to mind is when they played Dayton, which they won in the Maui finals in in overtime. Uh, I, I did a video on Dayton for that game, and I think uh, Doke was responsible for like four or five threes. Uh, but the converse of that is he had a huge game offensively. So if you have that pick and uh, pick and pop five man, that's great. It's going to give them some trouble. They're going to have to figure out if they want to stun at it or full rotate or whatever. But you're also going to have to guard them on the other end, uh, which usually that pick and pop guy is probably not the best matchup to guard. Doke.
0: Before we go on and talk about Baylor and San Diego State, I, I do want to talk about, because I was going to ask you about that Kansas ball screen defense. I saw you've had several tweets about it. I think personally, it's a bigger deal than even people would think that it would be. Because like you said, it's not just keeping the ball out of the middle. And just so that we're clear, so everybody knows what we're talking about, that icing or down. You typically see it in like a high ball screen situation. It started in the NBA, basically the defender on the ball jumps to one side, keeping the ball on one side of the floor. And then, like you said, your, your big guy is kind of hanging back sometimes in the paint, sometimes comes out. They're not like coming out and attacking the ball screen basically is what we're saying. And like you said, it's keeping it on one on one side of the floor. Mm-hmm. I talked to my team a lot about this this year, and I wanted to get your opinion on it more from the, the numbers perspective. It's not just getting the ball to the middle, but it also keeps the ball to one side of the floor, which keeps you out of defensive rotations. And it looks like Kansas does a really good job of keeping them on one side of the floor, which completely eliminates long closeouts. Do you see that? I mean, are there more repercussions to not doing that than what they're doing?
1: Yeah, that's it's a good point. Even uh if you do have to rotate in w- when the ball's, you know, on one side on a skip pass or something like that, the length of the pass is longer. Uh so you ha- you have more time to perform that rotation, uh which like you said, if if Dokes drop back enough, you know, if he's if he's not letting the roller behind him and providing support on the ball, this is this is what Kansas would like to happen. So Let's say Marcus Garrett's guarding the ball. He does not let the ball handler use the screen. So that ball handler uh, kind of probes to the baseline. Doke is is showing, but he's backing up, backing up, backing up, not letting the roller behind him. And then that gives Marcus Garrett time to get even on the ball. And theoretically, those two guys, or however many on the weak side, uh, aren't leaving their men nearly as much. Uh, and, and you're basically stalling out the ball screen. And and that's uh, an especially good result when in late clock situations, you have dope roaming the paint, you know, and, and you can kind of funnel it into him. Uh, so, yeah, I, I agree with you.
0: And have you seen anybody else do this? Because, again, we're not talking about like the high ball screen. Oh, everybody does that. Like this is happening on the perimeter, which, by the way, like, in my opinion, that already puts them in advantage because everybody would say, oh, well, then everybody can just do that like it is very difficult to do that on the perimeter. You have got to be communicating so that you know the screen's coming. You've got to have a guy who hears it and jumps to the high side. Like that's not something you just like implement in a shoot around before a game and like you're really good at it. But Kansas has had the whole season to practice it.
1: Yep. And I I didn't make this point, but I meant to. They weren't very good at it in the beginning of the season. Huh. I mm-hmm. there was a there was a quote from Bill self uh, Jesse Newell is, is the Kansas, one of the Kansas uh, beat writers, and he's very uh, X's and O's inclined and has done a great job reporting on on this type of stuff. And he said after their, after their first game, I think he said it was bad. And then he said, it, it's going to be good or something, something <laughs> to that effect. Uh, and the sticking to it, you know, you, you asked if, if, uh, Anyone else is doing it, you know. the The obvious answer is Texas Tech, who's who's no middle to begin with. I know we talked about them the last time I was on on the podcast, and they are in the Big Twelve, and they have had a lot of success, and it probably made it a little bit easier for for uh, self to decide to stick with it. Sure, um, you know the another team that's doing it is Baylor. Uh, the The really Baylor is even closer to Texas Tech's scheme really just overall uh, than Kansas where Kansas is kind of just using the the ball screen coverage um, Baylor it's not it's not a carbon copy by any means they have their own twist on things um, but they are another team not letting you use the screen they switch a lot more than than Kansas will with doke um, and maybe that's a little bit more personnel related but yeah they're I would say that ice even, even on the outer third of the court, like you're saying it is fairly popular right now. Uh, and, but I do agree with you that it isn't something that you just implement in a shoot around. And also, that it's difficult if you're not a no middle team to begin with. You know, I just a a pack line defense that is funneling the ball into the middle to then be expected to ice when a ball screen gets gets called out I've never really thought that was particularly realistic
0: and then also Baylor and San Diego State you just mentioned about Baylor at the time of this recording we're talking about like late season games and you know both of those teams have suffered some late season losses is there anything that concerns you about those two teams
1: yeah. So Baylor, really both of those teams I did, I did a uh, long form videos on, which I only say that to mean that I watched like a million clips of them. <laughs> um, so more than I needed for, for the video. And Baylor is, I, I have no reservations about them, uh, particularly defensively. Like they are, they are extremely good defensively. They have really, really good individual players and, uh, you know the the scheme that that uh, I alluded to. I think they kind of set expectations a little bit high by winning eighteen in a row or, or whatever it was that they won. So they were probably being overrated slightly when when they won eighteen in a row, and they're probably being underrated slightly now that they've lost three here um, of late. And you know, their I think their their overall strength is is somewhere in between there. I pretty comfortably say that they're you know. A one seed, like regardless of of what they get, right? but they're they're a one seed in terms of how good they
0: are. And San Diego State, we were just talking beforehand, like there's nothing for them to do to lower themselves at this point, right?
1: Right. So, yeah, um, San Diego State. They uh, well, they're another team that I've, those are the two that went on the big winning streaks. My kind of assessment on San Diego State: first of all, in terms of their defense, they run the pack line, so they are very different from Baylor and Kansas uh, where it's a lot of uh, help or stunting from one pass away in the gap. And I think that they don't, well their rim protector uh, has been out for the majority of the season here. I know it's, it's rumored that uh, that he has a chance of playing in the NCAA tournament potentially, but they've gone smaller here uh, in, in the conference season and I think that their pack line defense uh, with Wetzel at the five kind of helps eliminate the need for the rim protector so much. The the point that I've made about them is it's, it, you don't even really get to the rim in the first place against them. Uh, they do give up uh, a lot of threes, which is fairly typical of, of a pack line defense. I guess my concern with them, I, I, they're well coached and, and, uh, You know, I I like their offensive and defensive schemes. Malachi Flynn is a legitimate All American. Their point guard, he is extremely good. Uh, But overall, I don't know if like athleticism, length, uh, that would be something that I'd be slightly concerned about. They did beat high major teams in uh, in non conference play. They they beat Creighton. Uh, they beat Iowa, I believe, and it's not like they're—they haven't done anything. But that would be my concern with them, like the 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 length and athleticism factor. Um, even though I do really like Malachi Flynn,
0: it would be super interesting if for a second year in a row we saw in the championship game conflicting styles like that, where you have a pack line team like San Diego State, maybe like Kansas or Baylor that that plays more of uh, the man to man and the. the just something completely different, but that's a long ways from now. So the next question is specifically for NCAA tournament games. From your observations, what would you say percentage-wise of game planning for teams is not allowing the other team to do what they want to do versus a team just saying, we're gonna do what we do so well that they're not gonna be able to beat us?
1: I think it depends on the coach, um, but...
0: Do you feel like one's better than the other at this time of year?
1: (laughs) Well, Better, I don't know. More fun is is the (laughs) is the game planning and scouting. Uh, That's 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 the that's the side of basketball that I think is my favorite thing to do of literally anything. Like whether it's player development or um, whatever, you know, I'd throw analytics in there. You know, my favorite Mm. thing is is game planning and scouting, and I worked for a couple of coaches that were extremely good at it, Um, and so. You know, we played. Uh, I for for listeners that don't know, I, I was a video coordinator at at New Mexico State, and we played Baylor my first year there in the NCAA tournament, and Clemson my second year. And our scouting was extensive uh, for mm-hmm. for both of those games. I remember Clemson better just because it was more recently. Brad Brownell runs a lot of stuff, and. Mm-hmm we went over all of it, <laughs> all like <laughs> every play. I've uh, I, i I've always said that um, coaches get really concerned about overloading players with statistics or analytics. Um, but then <laughs> those same coaches, you know, are, are giving them 700 plays to remember. But in March, late in the season, I always felt like our players, they were really good at, first of all, the attention to detail for an NCAA tournament game and how much, how much buy-in there is from the players. I mean, they're ready. They're locked into a film session in a way that they're not in, in a, in the, in the, you know, for a regular WAC game. And so ton of buy-in from the players. They've had 30 games of reps where by by the end of the season, you really have things rolling in terms of your terminology for all the different plays, you know, uh, Clemson runs this ball screen play exactly like seattle did or you know and, and you can you can build off each other with the scouting uh and so i i always felt like the combination of total buy-in and just experience uh was uh, it was a little bit easier to do that in march
0: yeah a little bit more fun for him too probably just a new challenge with uh not having to go against the same team. So a little bit of like a rapid fire here, uh, although you can stop and talk as long as you want to about any of these questions. So here's the first one. Who's an X's and O's coach to watch for in the tournament.
1: X's and O's coach to watch for. I'm looking at, I'm looking at my, uh, Kempom rankings here. Okay. So, uh, one team that I haven't done a video on yet, uh, which, Actually, by the time that this pod is released, there's a chance I might have done it already. Uh, but BYU, I really like BYU's offense. A lot of continuity ball screen type stuff, five out, somewhat five out, and uh, and they're, they're fun to watch.
0: This is kind of a sub-question to that question, but best ATO coach?
1: Best ATO coach. Was watching a game today, and they said it was Bill Self. The announcer said it was Bill Self. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So he, he is really good. I don't necessarily think of it as ATO more as like tactician. Like his plays are just specifically designed to get a certain action in a way that like Jay Wright's aren't. They're conceptual. I guess the other, in terms of high major coaches, Bill Self would definitely be up there. I'd put Chris Mack there too. I, I, he's a he's a tactician. You know, Izzo is is a tactician. Yeah, those are
0: three. How about a team that's trending up statistically? So you already talked about, you know, kind of that myth with the with the teams like getting hot or whatever. But like statistically, what have you seen maybe in this last month of a team trending up? It could be on one side of the ball, both sides of the ball. It doesn't matter.
1: Yeah. Um, Michigan State is a interesting team this year because.
0: Shocking, right?
1: Yeah. 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 I guess it's always kind of like this. They were number one in the country to start the year. Um, obviously the uh, Cassius Winston's brother passing away was a, a big storyline for them. And it clearly had an impact from a analytics or a predictive, predictive rankings perspective. They never really dipped. They were always kind of in the top 10 the whole year. If you play in the big 10, you're going to lose games. That's, you know, that's not necessarily indicative of, of how good you are. It just to be losing a few games in the big 10 Cassius Winston is so good. <laughs> that's that's uh he has had a bit of a strange season, but between Winston and Tillman, Xavier Tillman, both of those guys are really good. And, uh, and you think that they get, they get it right. Or you keep expecting them to, you know, like kind of enter the, the, the Kansas Baylor Gonzaga, I guess, conversation. So we'll, we'll see if they do
0: any team trending down statistically.
1: Uh, trending down.
0: Let's be honest. Who are you picking in the first week or two to get upset?
1: Yeah. Uh. Well, I guess a, a team that's worth bringing up is Kentucky. Uh. Who, I think, as we're recording this, they're maybe number six in in the AP poll or something like that. And I can't say I follow the AP poll extremely closely, but they have, they, for the most part, have been outside the top 25 in, in Ken kempom rankings in in conference play. And based on just kind of their roster and, and talent level, that seems a little bit off to me. Uh, I know I've heard Ken Pomeroy talk about how his system is so high on the Big Ten this year and and down on the SEC, and he's not really sure if that's right or not. And Kentucky would be a team that is is being hurt by that if it's not right. But yeah, so it's not so much that they're trending the wrong way, um, but I guess given their given their brand and I mean they they do have they do have a lot of talent. Uh, i think it might not, not all the pieces don't fit perfectly uh, but I, i'm i'm definitely interested uh to see how how they do in 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 the tournament i i could see it going either way i can't say i'll definitely be picking against them but
0: yeah. one or two mid major teams who execute exceptionally well
1: um yeah BYU would definitely be Towards the top, Uh, Utah State won the Mountain West Conference Tournament over San Diego State, who we already talked about. And they have two really good players in Sam Merrill and Keita. Another coach, Craig Smith, who's pretty tactical in terms of uh, running some sets that that steal some baskets. But then they also have those two guys to kind of fall back on. Uh, St. Mary's, Randy Bennett, uh, you can pretty much use him for that question in any given year you know they're, they're they're always a high execution team
0: any mid-major or even kind of on that edge of mid-major low-major capable of a deep run
1: yeah well it it, it always depends on your definition of mid-major uh but you know Dayton is really good I talked about uh, having a little bit of concern for San Diego State's length and athleticism and I do not have those concerns for for Dayton you know they're not uh, they don't have necessarily like a big seven foot five man uh, but they are pretty at, the, the thing that's been so good about Dayton this year is they have athletes but they can shoot the ball and sometimes at the at the lower levels it's one or the other or almost all the time at at the lower levels it's, it's one or the other and uh their offense is a well-oiled machine this year because they have great ball movement and everyone can shoot it and everyone can attack a closeout in terms of more i guess not teams that are going to be like a one or a two seed uh you know i I'm, I'm biased here and they haven't won their conference tournament yet as we're recording this but uh new mexico state and my my former boss uh chris chris Jans, yeah, I am I'm very biased there, but I'll I'll throw them out there.
0: I was looking at some stats last night. I was wondering if maybe you'd mention them. Steven F. Austin is shooting over thirty eight percent from three and ranks in the top fifteen in the defensive efficiency if I'm facing them in the tournament. Should I be worried?
1: Yeah, so they they uh play a similar style of defense to what Brad Underwood played when he was the coach of, of Stephen F. Austin in terms of denying aggressive denials they deny the elbow they deny uh the wings and i tweeted something about charges the other day and someone on their staff claimed that they have one player that had taken 37 and one that had taken 34 this year uh, which is a lot of charges (laughs) um i don't know if it's true but i'll take his word for it and so that's that's their you know they're i guess a little undersized but they uh they are on the line, up the line, defensively, and they would certainly be annoying to play.
0: <laughs> I was at that Duke game in the third row, and everything you mentioned, they did to Duke, and that's why they won. Uh, they took charges. Yep, they, they took charges. They were undersized, but they kept their guys in just long enough to give Vernon Carey some trouble inside, and they had one or two guys that, I mean, all you need is one or two guys that can carry you, and they've got a couple guys that can So I don't know. I'm not predicting anything, but maybe. Uh, I know this is hard for you to do when you don't know in the bracket. uh, You don't know about the brackets yet, but based on what you've seen, best shot to make the final four, Gonzaga, San Diego State, or Dayton?
1: Yeah, so this will potentially change based on the path, but let's say they were all three teams had the same path. I would go with Gonzaga personally. I would would rank them – Gonzaga, then Dayton, then San Diego State. I do think all three teams are good. Um, I guess legit, you know, like they're uh, just as someone who puts con- college basketball content out on the Internet, I know if I do something on one of those three teams, I'm going to get comments. They haven't played anyone uh, and I don't necessarily buy that. Well, regardless of who they play, they're just good. Those three teams are good. Uh, but yeah, Gonzaga would would uh, would be my pick. They are. Uh, still, this year and and last year, the the number one um, offensive team in the country in terms of efficiency.
0: Do you know who you're picking to win the whole thing, or do you even fill out a bracket?
1: I don't fill out a bracket. I have I have every bracket that I've filled out uh, since 2002 saved. I used to relig religiously fill out a bracket, so I was uh, nine then, <laughs> and um. Yeah, my dad's work had a office pool and I uh, you could not find anyone more obsessed with filling out a bracket. And then what happened was I learned about statistics and analytics and it took the fun out of it. Exactly. Yep. So what when I was young, I thought that there was a legitimate right like like there was a right answer. Like what, sure. what was going to happen um, it was not, a, it was not a product of luck or randomness or whatever you want to call it. Like it was what was going to happen and you just made the wrong pick, you know? And so as I started, uh, kind of understanding probability better, that was the first thing that, that a little bit ruined the bracket process for me. And then, but I was still doing them. And then from there, I think I realized that when I, after I got over that part of it, I realized that filling out a bracket, I would then root too much for my bracket to be right about things. Whereas I just wanted to watch the tournament and uh, enjoy the upsets and, and all that kind of stuff. And then the final evolution has been, you know, now I'm like professionally covering this stuff. So there's also that element, but really I had, I had it stopped actually before that. So
0: is there a hoop vision bracket challenge?
1: There's not. <laughs>
0: there probably should. I be. I think there needs. Yeah, to, yeah, There should be. Yeah. Winner gets a a free membership for a month or so.
1: A free membership, or we do have t shirts. We could we could do a nice dry fit t shirt. Yeah, yeah. All right.
0: So you heard it here first. There's a hoop vision bracket. That's a. Uh, no, I won't under <laughs> that pressure, but if there is, we can. Uh, by the by the you're already getting a discount on the uh ncaa tournament bible so you can use the tournament bible to win the hoop vision bracket challenge and get a free t-shirt
1: <laughs> well yeah the, you're uh you're improving my business model already i like it
0: hey though. man i'm i'm here for you marketing for you let me <laughs> just let me know anytime all right that, that's jordan sperber of hoop vision be sure to check out his ncaa tournament bible at hoopvisionhq.com And if you haven't already, make sure you follow him on Twitter. It's at HoopVision68. Jordan, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much for making some time for us.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it.
0: Just really quickly, if you haven't heard yet about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and other platforms so your show actually gets heard. You can even make money from your podcast, no matter the size of your audience. It really is everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.